I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. Now, while you're turning, let me tell you what we're going to do tonight. We're going to re-crank up prayer after service. And we're going to be praying after the service. And we're not going to do it down front like we did before uh, the number 19 hit us. Oh, if you just go through that door, right, the back corner door over there, you can go in the little gym area right there. It's Family Life Center. I'm sorry, it's not a gym. It's Family Life Center. You can go in the Family Life Center, and they'll have tables set up there so you can be a little distance. And our associate uh, pastoral care pastors have been there praying for people. We need to pray at church. An older Pentecostal preacher told me something one time. He said, the reason we have to counsel so much during the week is because we quit praying at the altar after our services. And so if you need prayer, you got a family member that needs prayer. Listen, God answers prayer. He told you to call him and call on him. He'll answer you. You go in there and say, listen, I want you to pray for my family. Or somebody has a need, I want you to pray for me. Or if you've got something on your heart, you go in there and let them folks pray for you. And you go in there believing that God will do what he said he'd do. If you can't trust him in that part of the word, you can't trust him in any part of it. But it's all good. You can trust all of it. And also, let me mention this. Next Tuesday... If you've got preschool children, we're having a drive-in. Don't bring your children and leave them. We don't, we don't want your children. I mean, I mean, we love your children, but let me just read it. Preschoolers drive through to the preschool carport to pick up lessons and craft packets, you know, sort of like remote learning. And we're going to send their stuff home with you, crafts, lessons, all that. You can pick those up next Tuesday, 5 to 7 in the afternoon over there. At the, I call it the children's portico. I call it that thing you drive under over there. And we'll just have a great time. We're folks, we're adjusting best we can to this stuff. All right, you got Revelation chapter 21. All right, I'm going to teach you something I want you to remember for the rest of your life about your Bible. You need to divide the Bible into four sections. The Bible is divided into four sections. Now, some people put the divisions between Old Testament and New Testament. 62 books, excuse me, 66 books. Some put it between the law, the prophets, the epistles. The, the, but you need to divide the Bible into four sections. Because it, it has four sections. Section number one is Genesis chapters one and two. Only four chapters in the Bible where you can see the will of God being done. There's only four chapters in the Bible where you see the will of God being done perfectly. Now you see his permissive will when Jesus walked on the earth in different places. But the perfect God's best is only found in four chapters in the Bible. And it starts out with Genesis 1 and 2, where you find the perfect will of God. You find his heart for humanity. He created a beautiful earth. He put people in it. He enjoyed them. They enjoyed him. They enjoyed each other. What's the first thing God ever said in the Bible? What's the first word he ever spoke to people? Be successful. Well, be fruitful, but in Hebrew it means be successful. He said, I want you to do well. And he set it up where we could have the most wonderful life on this planet. That's Genesis 1 and 2. All right, the next division, division number two, is one chapter, Genesis 3. That's where God's plan was departed from. We call it the fall of man. But Genesis chapter 3 is where his plans were broken and man walked away from God. All right, the next division, division number three, starts in Genesis 4 and goes all the way through Revelation chapter 20. That's the redemption of his plan for humanity. That's where he brings, he's trying to bring everything back to what he wanted to start with. And that's really, it starts in Genesis 3, but Genesis 4, all the way through Revelation 20, is where God works the miracle of redemption to bring man back to himself. Of course, the pinnacle of portion 3 is the cross of Jesus Christ. 
which makes everything he wanted to start with possible. And then the fourth division is Revelation chapters 21 and 22, which are the other two chapters in the Bible where you see his perfect will being done again. Genesis 1 and 2, Revelation 21 and 22 are paradise. Everything in between is paradise lost and paradise regained. So I want you to always divide your Bible like that. Division one, exactly the way God wanted it to be. Isn't he good? Division number two, we fail. We blew it through our rebellion and sin. All the whole Bible, the large majority is simply this. God going after what he lost, or it's called the redemption of humanity. And then Revelation 21, 22, he brings it back to what he originally planned to start with. You can only find the perfect will of God in two places, first two chapters and the last two chapters of the Bible. So now we're going to look in the last two chapters of the Bible. Now let me remind you where we're at here. Revelation is broken down. You have the revelation of Jesus, world history, uh, the great tribulation period, which culminates in Revelation chapter 20. And the final thing you see in Revelation chapter 20 is the final judgment of humanity, the great white throne judgment. And Satan is banished for eternity. It's all sealed and it's done. And then we break into a brand new day in Revelation 21. And Revelation 21 and 22 are where we, we see the description of the new earth, new heaven and the new earth. And uh, by the way, this, let me tell you what this is. This is sort of like uh, getting on the internet and looking at your new house. It's sort of like, well, this is the best we got here. You know, get on the internet and look at where you're going to move to. You know, if you're going to move to, I'll start to say Boston. Don't do that. If you're going to move to, the beach, do that. If you're going to move to the beach, you'd get on the internet and see what it's going to look like. Well, that's what Revelation 21, 22 is. And it's a beautiful picture. Now, let me remind you of something here. Revelation 1 says these things are signified or they're in apocalyptic language. So it's not all literal. It's, it's a picture to paint the beauty of it. Let's just gl let's glance through here a little bit. I want you to see something. Revelation 21. Now, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth did what? This earth you're standing on is going to pass away. It's going to pass away one day. This earth was not designed to last forever. A lot of people are concerned about global warming these days. That's in 2 Peter 2 where it said, I saw the first earth and the works in it were burned up. That's global warming. And the Bible said this earth is going to come to an end and all the works in it. The only two things coming out of this earth are people and the word of God. So only things are going to last through this thing. And, but what did it, and now remember, this is the book of Revelation. And what's he see in the first verse of chapter 21? I see a new earth. Now listen, this crazy thing, we got to go back to the book and stick with the Bible. This crazy mindset that got on people that when, when we get to this place called heaven, that we're going to wear these robes and sit on clouds and play a harp. That'd be hell to me. I'm not going there. I, I don't want to play a harp. I want to go fishing. Listen to me. It's the new earth. You say, what's it going to be like? Who created the first earth? You've got to see the new earth is like this earth, only man hadn't boogered it up. It's a perfect earth. It's, it's, we had a chance, we blew it, he makes a new and we're going to get to start over. So I see a new heaven and a new earth. No more see. I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down. All right, verse 3 is, is what we lost in Genesis 1 and 2. I heard a loud voice saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They'll be his people. He'll be with them, be their God, reunited. Now, dear ones, we're one in spirit with him. We can talk to him. We can hear his voice, but we're going to move in with him one day. And this talks about we're going to live with him. We're going to see his face. Now, I, listen, you want to learn what God is like? 
Let's read the next couple of verses. This reveals his heart right here. Verse four says this, and he, what's the first thing he's going to do for us in heaven? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That, that tells you so much about him right there. What's the desire of God to take the pain away, to wipe away every tear from their eyes? This, this, this is good. There will be no more death, no sorrow. Could you imagine a society and a, on a planet where there is zero sorrow? Well, it gets even better than that. No crying, there should be no more pain. Could you imagine people living together with no pain? Most of the pain today is not arthritis or uh, that type of thing. Most of the pain today is emotional pain. It's heart pain. It's the pain of broken relationships, broken dreams, failure. It's the pain of shame. What does the Bible say? You can't experience pain in the new earth. You can't. The stuff that hurts us here simply cannot touch us there. And there'll be no pain, the Bible said. The former things have done what? Former bad things are gone, the Bible said. And uh, behold, he who sits on the throne, he sat on the throne said, by the way, you know what it means sit on the throne, don't you? In charge. He who sat on the throne, I make all things new. He said, write these words for their true and faithful. Now we got to settle something. Do you believe this is the word of God right here? That the greatest question you'll ever settle in your life is, is this the authoritative word of the God who created the universe? And once you've settled that, all the issues of your life are settled. Now, if you're still shaky on whether the Bible is God speaking, you're in trouble. You've got to settle this thing. He said, write this down. These words are faithful and true. I don't understand it all, but I believe it's straight from him to me to show me pictures of things. And I've listened, I have stacked my entire life that this is God speaking in the earth. And it, it is a great comfort and great encouragement because these things are faithful and true. Verse six, he said, it is done. I, I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning of the end. And then here's the great news. I'll give of the fountain of water life freely to him who thirsts. Who can get in? Anybody. How much does it cost you to get into this place? What does it say? Free. It's free. And he said, I'll give it freely to anybody who thirsts. Verse seven, he overcomes, shall inherit all things. I will be his God. He will be my son. There it is. So that's just a picture of the new heaven, or I call it the new earth. Because we think of heaven, we think of clouds and harps. We got to start thinking earth, a new earth. And it's beautiful. and it will be beautiful. It was, the Bible talks about this. It was the most beautiful place like the garden of God. You take the most beautiful outdoor place you've ever been, multiply it by a thousand, that's where you're going to. And it's the garden of God. And then he goes on in chapter 21 to describe the city there. But now remember, this is apocalyptic language. And he talks about pearl gates, uh, diamond foundations, sapphire, onyx, all these beautiful stones. Now remember, uh, I'm probably going to get killed by the Baptist for saying this. I don't know for sure that that is the technical exact description or it's a picture to say it's so beautiful. This is the best I can do. I'll just, I'll put it, let me, let me say all this. It's real good. It's real good. Pure beauty. I promise you, it, you, would, you will love it. It's real good. And uh, then he shifts gears in chapter 22 and said, he showed me, now he showed me the new earth. He showed me a pure river of water of life clear as crystal proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb. Dear ones, you see this over and over in the Bible. Ezekiel 47, you see over and over uh, Psalm 47, there is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God. 
This river flows through the Old Testament. It flows through Jesus, through the New Testament. He said, if any man's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. This river will flow out of him. What's this a picture of here? What's this river? It is the Holy Spirit of God. It's the presence of God. And it flows from him. And it, you saw in Ezekiel where it flows into the earth and it brings healing and life. Thank God for the Spirit of God. If it weren't for the Spirit of God, none of us would even be saved. You can't be saved until he shows you the beauty of Jesus. And he's our, he's our encouragement. He's our life. Our, it's the presence of God. And he said, I saw him. And then he describes the same exact thing you see in other places. I want to read uh, verse 2. In the middle of its street on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So the Spirit of God is going to do what? He's going to bring healing in this place. Great healing. There'll be no more curse. What are we all under right now? Every one of us are under the curse of the law. And the curse of the law, if you want to read it sometime, that's Deuteronomy 28. The curse of the law describes broken families, broken dreams, broken bodies, broken futures, broken businesses, uh, mental maladies, fear. Everything bad is under the curse. What does the Bible say this is going to be? There's no more curse. All the result of sin has been taken away in His goodness. And the throne of God, the Lamb shall be in it. And uh, let, let's read him. Read this. And they shall what? What's the last part of verse 3 says? They shall sit on clouds and play harps. What does it say? They're going to start. There was, eternity is not a place of inactivity. It's not a place where you sit around and play a harp. Uh, God created service and labor for good. Now, it's been distorted in the fall of man, but we're going to serve him there. And it doesn't mean we're going to walk around like waiters. One of the great passages, if you want to look this up, is in Luke chapter 19, where the Bible said, they asked Jesus, is the kingdom coming? He said, no, no. He said, the kingdom is like a man who goes on a far journey. And he calls his servants and he gives to each one uh, a portion. We'll just say he gives them something, 10 of them. And he said, he said to them, he said, you do business while I'm gone. All right. God's given every one of us something. And he's given us opportunities and opportunities to love people, serve people, serve him by serving people, helping people. We're to be the light of the world. We're to be the salt of the earth. We're, we're to don't just sit on your fanny, wait for Jesus to come back, do something. And listen, our God is an investment capitalist. He has invested capital in you. And he said, now here, do something with what I gave you. Every one of us. All right. The Bible said after a long time, he returned from his journey. How many think Jesus is coming back one day? And he said, now give an account with what you've done. And the first man came to him and he said, Master, the mina, which was, a, it, was about nine, it was about three months wages. He said, the mina you gave me, I took what you gave me and I've earned 10 more. He said, I took what you gave me and I did something with it. Now this is not talking about making money. He said, I, you gave me a heart. You gave me opportunities. You gave me gifts. I help people. I blessed people. I raised my family. I helped other people. I served people. This is what I did with what you gave me. Listen to what he said. Well done, good and faithful, because you were faithful in some little things. I will make you the ruler over 10 cities. Um, where? Where are we going to rule over 10? Well, you know, you're not going to sit, you can't rule 10 cities sitting on a cloud playing a harp. So that tells me right there that with whatever I do with in this life, what I do with what he gave me, it will determine what I do for eternity. Now we read in Revelation 22, verse 3, that we're going to serve him there. What does it mean to rule over? Now, I don't want to rule 10 cities. I have trouble enough ruling one church. I, 
I want to either farm or be a commercial fisherman in heaven. That's, I, want, I put my request in for one of them two things. <laughs> Preferably the fishing. But, uh, but hey, what's, the, what's the revelation? What's the message? You're not going to sit in no cloud. There's activity in heaven. And you're going to have responsibility. You're going to manage things for eternity. You're going to have a body in heaven. It's going to look like this body. I mean, not this body. But it'll... Let me ask you a question. When Jesus came out of the grave... When he died and went in the grave, he went in with the body of a man. When he came out, he came out with his resurrected body. Don't you remember he walked through walls with it? And he had a resurrected body. And that, Philippians 2 says, we will have a body like unto the Lord's body. We're going to have a resurrected body that's eternal. You're going to see that in a minute. And you say, well, we're going to eat. Well, did Jesus eat in that resurrected body? Do you remember when he came to where the disciples were? What's the first thing he said? Well, he said, peace. And he said, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him fish and a honeycomb and he ate it. You're going to eat in your resurrected body. And we just got this thing about this fuzzy white place playing fuzzy, spooky funeral home music and a bunch of fat little angels sitting on clouds. I'm not going there. It's a new earth where we have responsibilities and, and we labor, but it's not sweaty your brow labor. That was the curse. All right, you got it? So the Bible teaches that we'll, we will serve him there. Of course, be by serving other people, verse four, they will see his face. And of course he promises these words are true. And so this is the description. Now I want you to look at something with me. And uh, we're in trouble in this nation over this issue right now. What's the last thing the Bible says? Look at me in verse 18. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anybody adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. Anybody takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy he will take away his part from the book of life and the holy city and the things which are written in this book. Don't mess with this book. What's the last thing the Bible says? Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. He's serious about this word right here. And we have gotten too intellectual in this generation and we've started judging God and putting question marks over his word. You need to read it just like it's written. And you need to tell him, say, well, Brother Brian, I, I love Jesus, but there's some things in the Bible I don't like. You can't separate them. I want you to listen to this. Mark chapter 8, listen to this. He who was ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he returns in the glory of his Father. You can't separate Jesus from his words. We got these weird Jesuses all over the nation today saying things that aren't in this book. Listen, say what this book says. You know why I like this right here? This becomes my confidence. This is my anchor. This is my hope. This is my steadfast surety. I don't, I don't want to be able to say, well, I, I think, I maybe, I, I don't know. I don't want to hear that. You know what I want to hear? Thus saith the Lord. I want to hear with confidence. This is where we're going. This is the way. This is the truth. This is the life right here. And so we honor his word in that regard. And uh, well, let's do read the last two verses. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. What's our attitude to be? Come back, come back. And then he promises the grace to be with you. All righty. So that's the promise of a head. Now, let me tell you what I need, what we're going to talk about. One thing now for a little bit tonight. <clears throat> we got to start changing the way we see life. We got to start thinking differently. Uh, the Bible said in Romans chapter 12, don't be like the people around you. Don't be conformed to this world. Be changed and transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? so you can experience the best God has. I need to think different from people. Have you ever heard of a worldview? 
Well, it's, let me tell you what a worldview is. It's the way you view the world. It's the way you think about life. It's what you believe about life itself and why we exist and why we're here. And it's even the way you think about how long life is. Well, listen, our culture that we live in has a very ungodly, unbiblical worldview. But we want a biblical worldview. In other words, we want to think eternally. I don't mean we want to think about eternity all the time, but we want to think eternally. And we want a new view of life. And I want to talk to you about that for just a second. Here's a natural man's perspective without a biblical worldview. Tell me what, tell me what life is without a biblical worldview. Here it is, 82 years. You don't know why I picked that number? Because that's the average age a person lives in the United States right now. The average age is 82. You get 82 years on this planet. You know, if you're a woman, a little bit longer, man, a little bit less, which makes sense. But see, when we think of life, we think of what? When life, we think of what? 82 years. That's life right there. You know, we, we, I told somebody, my daddy is 92. They said, well, he's old, isn't he? No, no, he's not old. Well, it depends on how long you're going to live. What does James chapter 4, verse 14 say? Your life is three seconds. Your life is like, let's look at it. Turn with me to James chapter 4. I want you to start thinking differently than you've been trained so you can have the hope of glory. James chapter 4, verse 14. It asks one of the great questions that we need to answer. James 4, 14 says this. How many of you would agree with this? You do not know what will happen tomorrow. How many of you agree with that? Yeah, we're wondering about that, aren't we? Watch this, now here, watch this question. What is your life? What is your life, dear ones? All right, watch what the Bible says your life is. <clears throat> it's a vapor that appears for what? Does it say a little time? You think 82 years is a little time? 82 years sounds like a long time to me. Well, the Bible said that the days of our lives are 70 years if we're strong 80. Now, if you're 85, relax, you can go further than that. But I want you to look at what the Bible says. Your life is literally, how long is a vapor? Three seconds. He said, when you, when you understand eternity, that's your life right there. What is your life? Three seconds. It's like a vapor. It's very short. And that's why we need to begin to think eternally and have an eternal perspective. Now, the natural man says, well, you know, life is about 80 years. And if you're 85, you're pretty old. You, you got one foot in the grave at, at 85 for some reason. That's not right thinking. Let me tell you what's in your heart. That might be your head. Let me tell you what's in your heart. Eternity is in your heart. Let's look at the great promise of God. Turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, if you can find it. You can find it. Find Psalms, go through Proverbs, and then after Proverbs, you'll find Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a great book. I love to meditate on it. Ecclesiastes is the book of, uh, could be subtitled, I Learned the Truth, but I Learned it Too Late. It could be subtitled, I Got to the Top of My Ladder and then found out it was leaned on the wrong wall. It's written by Solomon that way when he was an old fool. But boy, these are some of the greatest truths. Uh, I, I, when, since we're in the neighborhood, I'm going to throw in some freebies here. Ecclesiastes 3.1, to everything there is a season. How many believe that? How many believe God put this planet on a season? How many believe that everything is in his season? To everything there's a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Words, we're not just floating through life. There's a purpose for everything going on here. All right, and then it talks about the times. Verse 10, uh, verse 11. I love this. He has made everything beautiful when you give him time. 
Let me tell you something. Don't worry about making yourself beautiful. You love Jesus. You follow Jesus. He'll make everything beautiful in its time. Now, remember, we don't see time like, I'm fixing to show you something wild in a minute. We don't see time like he sees time. Because to him, a day is as a thousand years. A thousand years is as a day. But he's going to make everything beautiful in his time. And watch this great promise right here. And he also, he has put eternity in their hearts. Now, my head says 90 years is a long time, but what does my heart say? There's something called eternity. Nobody's captured it, I don't think, like Brooks and Dunn did. And that's, they wrote one of the greatest songs, and it says this, you can't tell me it all ends with a slow ride in a hearse. This just can't be. This just can't be all there is. You know what that is? You know, the head says somebody falls over at 92 years old, and you see them in a casket, but something down here says that can't be all there is. You cannot tell me that's all there is. Why? You see, the head says, well, you die. When you get old, you die. What does your heart say? There's an eternity out there. Because he's put eternity in their hearts. Now, listen, that, that, that word means two things. Not only is there the knowledge of eternity, it's in you. That's, that's why we hate death. People hate dying. What does the Bible call death? Hebrews calls it an enemy. That's why we fight death. We were not created to die. We were supposed to, we are eternal beings. That's why people fight death. That's why Mary Kay's getting rich. We hate death. We hate the aging process because we weren't supposed to get old. You know there'll be no old people in heaven. Do you know that? There won't be. You say, I'll see grandma in heaven. Well, you might not recognize her. Don't you understand the aging process came in Genesis 3 was part of the fall? See, us old people get excited about this. The aging process was part of the fall. Well, see, I make all things new. We will have a body like unto the, like unto the Lord. If I fall over tonight, I'm not going to be 62 in glory. I'm going to be 28 in glory. For all of eternity, I'm going to be 28. This, this part down here is going to go back up here where it used to be. <laughs> the Bible says, listen, there's nothing that sin touched that'll be in the new earth. Well, the aging process came of, of sin. And the Bible says he's put eternity in their hearts. But let, let me tell you something else. Not only is there the deep knowledge there's something beyond the grave. That's eternity in your heart. There's a desire for eternity in your heart. He put the eternity in their hearts. He gives them the desires of their hearts. We were created for eternity. I wasn't created to live 90 years, 80 years. I was created down in here. I know I was created to live forever. Now my head disagrees with that. Guess why? Because my head's been programmed to think like a pagan. But what's in my heart? Sudden death is sudden glory. That's in my heart. I'm going to live forever. Now, let me, ask you, let me ask you just a small question. This is a small question. What is the purpose of, of creation? Let me say it this way. What's the meaning of life? One of the craziest things I've ever seen in my life. We're so smart today, but we're dumb. Educated idiots is what Romans chapter 1 calls it. Professing to be wise, they become fools. Listen to this. A graduate student working on his Ph.D., wrote 200 letters to the world's greatest minds and thinkers several years back. And he asked them one question, what is the meaning of life? What would you write down? He said, what is the meaning of life? Not all of them answered back, but of those who wrote him back, 75% gave the same answer. Guess what it was? We don't know. If the world's greatest thinkers don't know what the meaning of life is, what are we going to do? You know, how many of you believe that we were just here? How many of you believe we're here by accident? How many of you believe that a, 
slug crawled up on the shore and a monkey fell out of a tree and got a PhD and he's teaching University of California, Berkeley. How many of you believe that? How many of you believe that all this is an accident? There's no hand behind this. All this order just came out of an explosion. That takes more faith to believe that than it does believe what God says. How many believe there is a God and there's a hand behind this stuff? If there is a God, there's got to be a purpose. He doesn't do stuff and just say, well, let's see what happens. He has purposes. Tell me, what is the meaning of life? What's the purpose? Well, let's look at it in the great scripture. Why don't you turn to the book of Ephesians? The book of Ephesians. When I want to have fun, I turn to Ephesians and I meditate this passage. To me, this is the great passage in the Bible that reveals the greatest truths of the Bible and it shows the purpose of life, the meaning of life. I may believe that if God Almighty knew the meaning of life, He might write, it and t- write us and tell us about it. Well, it's in Ephesians. I want to read a few verses to lead up to it in Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, let, me, let me encourage you to do something. Take the verses I'm fixing to give you in Ephesians and eat them and eat them and eat them. This is the greatest food in the Bible. This would be my favorite place to eat in the Bible right here. Now, let me explain to you. So why should I have to read it twice? All right. I want you to understand his words are food to my spirit. Got it? You know, now I love to eat certain things, but I don't, mama says we're having chicken. I said, I don't want chicken. I ate that about five years ago. I'll never eat it again. I eat chicken over and over and over, and I love it just as much every time. God's word is bread. And this is one of the greatest restaurants you can eat at. It's in Ephesians chapter one. I want you to read, let's put in about verse four. Just as God chose us in him when? Before the foundation of the world. You believe that? Do you believe he knew you before he ever said, let there be light? What does it mean he chose you? He picked you out. Before he ever said, let there be light, he saw you. If you want a further reference on that, it's Psalm 139. All right. Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. I'm putting it in language you can understand. Don't criticize my children. I love them. Don't be blaming my children. I love them. Verse five, having predestined us. Do y'all believe in predestination? Right there it is. Now, predestination doesn't mean some going to heaven, some going to hell, I don't think. I believe he desires all to be saved. But before time began, he, pre- he gave me a destiny before time began. What is my destiny? What's the purpose of my life before I began? He predestined us, what? To be adopted as sons, daughters if you're a girl. Before time began, he saw me and said, I'd like to have him as my son. I'd like to have her as my daughter. This where these such wonderful passages here. To the praise. Now let's look at this. Read verse five again. Having predestined us that he might adopt us as sons to himself. What does it mean according to the good pleasure of his will? He's really excited about it. You know, good pleasure, his will. It means he got excited about it. I can't understand all this. This is way beyond my puny little mind to, to comprehend it, but I can read it and believe it. That before time began, he saw me. He was excited about me and said, I'm going to take that boy and let him live in my house. I want him to be my son. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the blood. In him we have redemption through his blood. How can somebody as sinful as me live in the family of the eternal family of God forever? I've been redeemed by what? My good works? The precious blood of Christ. The cross has made me redeemed and perfect in his sight. Let's go a little further here. All right, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Who's running the show? 
Can you see that he has a will and he has a purpose on this planet? He has a purpose in creation and it brings him great pleasure. Verse 10, now here's the key. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, there it is. This earth's not just going through motions. We're not just winding. What does dispensation of the fullness of the times mean? He has a calendar and there are dates on that calendar. There are times. Dispensation means portion of time and we're marching through the dispensations and there's going to come a day, there's a date on the calendar already that he has set to wind things and shift things over that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, here's his plan, that he might gather together in one place all things in Christ, those which are in heaven and those which are on earth. What's his ultimate plan? How many of you believe God's got a family? Friend, you're either in the family of God or in the family of the devil. There's no middle ground. The Bible said in 1 John 3, by this the children of God and the children of the devil are made obvious. Not everybody's God's child. God's got a family, but did you know his family split right now? Half of his family's where? On earth. What's that verse say? Where's the other half? Or maybe not half, but the other portion. They're already in the new earth. How many of you know somebody's in the new earth? And so, Brother Brown, that's, nice. that's cute the way you preachers talk about it. This ain't cute. This is reality. I'm going to show you this is reality. And I've got people that I love that are already on the new earth, but I'm still on the old earth. What does it say? Some are on the new earth. Some are on the old earth. What's his ultimate plan? Read that verse again. To bring all those people together where? In one place. That, that's what, this is the purpose of creation. That he could have a family in one place. To reference this, look in Ephesians chapter 3 real quick. Let me show you a verse. For this reason, Ephesians 3.14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus from whom the whole what? Family. Has he got a family? Where's his family at according to that verse? In heaven? And earth. Now back to Ephesians 1.10. What's his ultimate plan? I'm going to bring all of them together in one place. We're going to bring everybody together in one place. Does anybody here have anybody on, in the new earth already? That's why two believers say when one's body's fixing to expire, you don't say goodbye. You say what? I'll see you later. I'll see you later. It might be a little bit, but I'll see you later. <clears throat> in him we've obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works everything according to the counsel of his will. Then was you are predestined and he's going to do what he started out to do. He works everything according to his plan and his plan's coming to pass and he can make it happen. Now I want you to watch something with me. Let's shift gears a little bit here. How many of you were lost and outside the family of God at one time? Every one of us. Every one of us were lost in the fall of man. We were dead on the inside and dead doesn't mean my heart didn't beat. My heart's been beating since before I was born. It meant there was no life in me. There was no spirit life in me. In the Bible, dead doesn't mean your heart doesn't beat. It means, the God, it means God's not in here. There's no spirit life in you. We were dead in trespasses and sin. Matter of fact, chapter uh, 2, verse 1 says, he, you, you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. There was the moment you got saved, the spirit of God came inside of you and you became alive. Your spirit became alive. Until then, your body was alive, your mind worked, your emotions worked, but your spirit was dead. And the moment you were born again, the Spirit of God breathed on you and He came inside and your spirit came to life. And He made you alive right there. Let's read verse 5 of Ephesians 2. God who, excuse me, verse 4. God who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. Dear ones, if He loved you when you were in sin, He loves you now. 
dead in trespasses and sins. He had a great love toward us. He made us alive together with Christ, made us one with Christ. All right, the verse that explains the whole purpose of creation is Ephesians 2, 7. Let's read it together. So that he saved me. I may have been saved before. Why were you saved? Well, the answer is in verse 7. So that he saved us. So that in the what? Ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That verse is the purpose of creation. It's the entire, it's the, it's the meaning of life. It was, everybody's got three seconds on this planet to either accept Christ or reject Christ. And those who accept him, the Bible said he, was, he made them alive in Christ. Why did he do this whole thing we call earth right now? It's in verse 7. So that for the ages to come, for thousands and thousands of years, he could be good to us in Christ Jesus. That he could adopt us and take us home. That's the whole, that's the whole purpose of creation. That's why we're here. That's, that's why we're, we become eternally minded. Now, dear ones, when you begin to understand eternity and think eternity, it changes everything about you. All right, now let me, let me discuss a little argument that goes on in Christian circles sometimes. You ever heard anybody say this? I know some Christians that are so heavenly minded, no, no earthly good. Y'all ever heard that? They're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Uh, <clears throat> since it's just us tonight, and I can speak freely because I'm old, I've never met a Christian that's so earthly minded, so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. I met some that are so full of religious crap you couldn't do anything with them. I'm sorry. It's Wednesday night. They weren't heavenly minded. They were just religious and aggravating. But I've never met anybody heavenly minded that wasn't earthly good. You can't be any earthly good till you get heavenly minded. But I've met a bunch of believers who are so earthly minded. You say, well, I don't want to live for that pie in the sky and the sweet by and by. You listen to too many dumb sayings. You need to buy a Bible. <laughs> Let me tell you what this book teaches right here. This is what this book teaches right here. I am, heaven, I am eternally minded. I'm heavenly minded. But at the same time, I am still enjoying this is the day the Lord has made and I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. I love my life. I love every day of it. I'm going to squeeze everything I can out of it. I'm going to love people and sing his praises and hear his word and go fish and eat, cheese, eat chicken sandwiches. And I'm going to love mama and we're going to carry on and we're going to watch the sunset and have a grand time. But my mind is on eternity. That's the balance that the Bible speaks of being eternally minded. And uh, we need to look into the future. All right. I want to take for just a second... I want to take you and show you what, what happens at the transition. You weren't created for this planet. You were created for that one. This is just a dress rehearsal. This is, let me tell you what this is. According to that, what we just read, this is the tryout. This is just a short tryout right here. You were created for the next planet. Let me show it to you in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I love this passage right here. 2 Corinthians 5. Now, let me tell you one of the things we've got to quit doing if we have our minds renewed. We put too much stock in the human body. Now, I don't mean we shouldn't take care of it. You need to be a steward of your body and take care of it, make it last. You say, well, if I fall over, I'm going to glory. Listen to me. You need to finish your course with joy. And you've got to take care of your body so you can get there. But we adore the human body. I mean, I mean we think that we are the body. Your body is not that big a deal. It's not eternal. 
I don't want you to look that with me in the scriptures. We got to learn to distinguish between the person and the body. See, we see some, we'll see a body and think, well, that's them. No, it's not. You're just looking at the bus. That's just the earth bus. Now you need to change oil and put good gas in it, but that's just the earth bus. Look with me, 2 Corinthians 4, 16. I know we're fixing to get into spiritual language here. 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man's being renewed every day. Can you see in that verse that you have two men or two women? Do you have an outward man? What's that? That's your body. Do you have an inward man? Let me tell you something. Listen to me. Your spirit's not this tiny little thing in the middle of your chest. If you were to see my spirit walk off from me, it would be a full-grown man that looks just like me. My spirit's a full-grown man inside of this body. It's not some little thing right here. It's a man. I, have a, I am a spirit man who is housed in a body. We think of ourselves as a body that has a heart. I am a spirit man, full-grown. My spirit man's six foot two. I don't think he's as wide as I am. My spirit man is six foot two. But I have a, an outer man or a natural man that the scripture speaks. I want you to see in that verse right there. We've got an outer man and we've got an inward man. Now, how many of you, your outward man is perishing? Well, let me say it this way. How many of you are 35 or older? Now, you need to keep your bus in good shape as you can. But anyway, let me tell you, a physiologist will tell you this. Human body starts out as a baby. It goes up. At about 26, 7, it levels off, and it's at the peak till about 33 to 35, and then at about 35. <laughs> this, this is just truth, dear ones, about 35, and uh, you know, I saw, you don't see many 42-year-old running backs in the NFL. At about 35, the human body begins to pecker out a little bit, and what does the Bible say? Actually, the word is decaying it begins to go downhill a little bit. It says perishing. Well, you know, you make it, I'm 62. I promise you I can't do now what I could at 26. And if I hang on a little bit longer, if I tarry, one of these days I'll be 92. And uh, when I turned 55, somebody said, well, why do you like middle age? I said, how many 110 year old people do you know? <laughs> 55 is not middle aged. 55 is pushing the fourth quarter, doc. A man has 78 years. A woman's got 84 years in the United States right now. We're one of the shortest living countries there is. Uh, got something to do with them golden arches. But here's the deal. <laughs> the Bible says my outward man is perishing. It is. Pe people are upset because you, you're growing older. You creak. Your outward man is perishing. What's happening to your inward man? He's not perishing. He's getting stronger every day. Your inward man's getting stronger every day. And let me, what, let me ask a question, question. Let me find out whether you're eternity-minded or short-minded. Which is the real me? The body or the inner man? The inner man is the eternal man. This, my inner man is the eternal guy that I want to pay attention to. Do you see why we do not lose heart? Why do you not lose heart? Well, I'm getting older and dirt, but I'm not discouraged because the real me is getting stronger and stronger. Let me tell you what we need to start doing. Let's do what verse 18 says. We do not focus on the things we can see, that's the outer man, but at the things you can't see, the inner man and eternity. Because the things you can see are temporary. The things we can't see with these eyes are eternal. What does the Bible tell you and me to do? Focus on eternity. 
on eternal issues. Now that doesn't mean I'm going to sit around and wait to get to heaven. You better not be waiting. You better get busy on eternal matters now because they're in the earth now. All right, here's the great promise. Read with me chapter five, verse one. Does the Bible say we know? You can't hope. You can't wish. You've got to know this. We know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, how many of you think that should be changed? From if our earthly house is destroyed to when? We know that when our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. All right. I want you to look in those two verses right there. In those two verses, God described your body using four words. What are the four words he calls the human body in that, those two verses right there? He calls it a house, a tent, a building, and what's the other one in verse 2? Clothes. He calls it clothing. Now, can I just ask you a question? I have a house down in the southern part of the county. If you was come riding around down out there and you just pulled up there and you saw my house, you'd say, oh, there's Pastor Brian. You say, where? He said, right there, right there. He said, that's not him, that's his house. I live in a house. I am not my house. I just live in it. All right, I got a tent. Me and Bubba used to camp together until he got grown. And if you used to come out through the camping area there and see the tent, oh, there's the pastor. The pastor's been, what? pastor's pegged to the ground, isn't he? That tent's not me. I just sleep in it. You come in the house and there's my old dirty clothes laying over a chair. So, oh, pastor, pastor. <laughs> see how stupid this is. I am not the old clothes I take off. What's the Bible teach me and you right there? You are not your body. You're, what does the Bible call your body? It calls it the tent you stay in, the house you live in, or the old clothes that you're going to take off one day. Then was listen to what the, here's an eternal perspective. What we call dying down here ain't a thing in the world more in verse two than just taking off some old wore out clothes and putting on some new nice clothes. That's all it is. That's all it is. This is what we call focusing on the eternal, not the temporary. You know, if, if somebody I love fell over and I went and got their old clothes out of the closets, well, there they are right there. No, they just throw them in the garbage. It's just clothes they wore. Then as we got, now listen, we honor the body because God honors it. But you got to understand this body wasn't made for eternity. My real man was made for eternity. I was made to live eternally. All right, what happens when this body falls over? What does it say? Let's read it again. <clears throat> We know if this earthly house, this tent is destroyed, which it will be, mine being destroyed slowly now, we have a house, a building from God, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. There's another body waiting on me. And it, it, listen, it's my real body. It's the big one. It's, it's the one I'm looking forward to. All right, now, you want to see something crazy? Verse 3. And if indeed having been clothed, we, we shall not be found naked. What does the Bible call my spirit without a body? Naked. Just like if I took my clothes off, I'd be naked. You take my body off. But who is the we? Who's the me? It's not my body. It's my spirit. Now let me tell you what the inner man is. It's my emotions, my will, my heart, and my personality, or the soul and the spirit. That's me. How many of you got a personality? That's going to live forever. Some woman just said, do you mean he's going to have this personality for all of eternity? It will be perfected when he sees Jesus. But James, listen to me. I'm going to have the same personality in heaven that I've got here, in eternity that I've got here. I'm going to have the same mind, but it's going to be perfected. 
I'm going to have the same emotions, but they will be like God's and they won't be crazy. And this is what I'm fixing to say. I will have the same exact heart for all of eternity that I have right now. My heart is already perfect. Romans chapter 7, verse 22. I delight in the law of God in my inner man. My heart is already perfectly, perfectly tuned to God. That's why anytime I make a decision contrary to God's truth, my heart bothers me because my heart's already perfected. But my mind will be perfected one. There was the real me is my personality. It's my spirit. It's my soul. It's my emotions. It's the thinking. That's going to live forever. The only thing I'm going to lay down is this bus. This body's going in the ground one day. From earth it came to earth it goes. But I'm going to have a brand new body that's eternal in the heavenlies. And uh, how many of you, if you could choose, would go on right now? I'm giving time. I'm, I'm, you don't have to. I'm just suggesting. <laughs> Let me show you what would happen if you knew the truth. Verse 4. We who are in this tent, the temporary tent, groan, being burdened. Not because we want to die or be unclothed, but we want to be further clothed. We want mortality to be swallowed up by life. If you knew the truth from this word and you could see reality, what, what does groan mean? Somebody says to me, you, I've heard people say, well, how's work? Oh, it's terrible, but oh, oh, I get to go on vacation. We're going to the beach next week and I can't wait. You know what they're doing? They're groaning to get out of work and get to the beach. If you knew the truth, you would groan in this body saying, I want the next one. I don't care how great your life is. If you knew it, you would groan saying, I, I don't want to die. Guess why I don't want to die? It's not in my heart. Eternity is in my heart. Matter of fact, I am not going to die. I say, oh, that's real cute how you preachers say that. That is reality. He who believeth in me shall never die. You say, well, what's that I saw in that casket? That was just the leftovers. That's just the bus. That was just the old body that I had worn out down here. It's like getting new tires. <laughs> Close. And the old Baptist church had a deacon named Brother Pease. And Brother Pease got old and he fell over, buried him in the graveyard out there. <clears throat> his wife had written on his tombstone, this ain't Pease, this is just the pod. Pease shelled out and went to God. That's the truth right there. <laughs> That's cute. That's the Bible. That is exactly the truth. Now listen, listen to me. You say, do you think this stuff is real? Go back and read the first two words. We know. We know if this body is destroyed, I have got one in the heavenlies not made with hands. I'm not going to be naked. People, I've heard preachers talk about we just float around like globs. <sighs> I will have a new body. You will have a new body. All right, now I want you to look at one more verse with me here. He who created us for this very thing is God. Why were you created? You weren't created for this earth. You weren't created for this body. This is temporary. He who created us for this thing, that eternal body and that eternal place where everything is perfect, that's why you were created. You say, what's the meaning of life? To live in eternity with God. In a brand new body that is eternal like His, where there's what? No crying, no pain, no suffering, no garbage. He who created us for this very thing is God. And uh, now listen to me. You say, how do you know that? I got a guarantee. He gave me a guarantee. And I, listen, I know that I know that I know in my knower. 
You know, knowing and you know her, you can't know no better than that. They say, do you believe this stuff? I don't believe this stuff. I know this stuff. I have a guarantee. Watch it. Here's the guarantee. Verse five. He who prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the spirit as a what? Guarantee. When I sense the spirit in my heart, that is God saying, I guarantee you, I will redeem the purchased possession. Ephesians talks about that. And that you belong to me and you've got a body prepared. The spirit inside of me is God's guarantee that this is true. 100% guarantee. You say, explain it. I don't have to explain it. I have to believe it. You say, prove it. I can't prove it. I can believe it though. This is by faith and he's revealed it to us through his spirit. And I'm looking forward to the, to the new home. That, verse seven, listen, we live by faith. We don't live by sight. The spirit reveals it to us. All righty, let me, let me throw in one more here. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. If you knew the truth, you'd rather be there than here. You would much rather be there than here. Can I show you one more real quick? Oh, we got real quick, real, turn, turn quick. Listen quick. Philippians chapter one. There's only one man who has been to heaven and came back. Who was that? Does anybody know? Paul the Apostle. First Corinthians chapter 12. I know a man who was caught up into the third heaven and saw, heard inexpressible things. He's the only man who's ever been to heaven and came back. And he got the revelation of the gospel. That's why he wrote the New Testament. But I want you to look what he said about this thing about deciding whether to go or whether to stay to the new earth. All right, verse 20. Here's 21. Here's the perfect balance. Philippians 1, 21. To me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's how I ought to live right there. If I live, God's going to bless the fire to me and I'm going to love people and have a great time. I'm going to live the life he's given. Tell me what dying is. It is what? Tragic. Oh, it's tragic. To die is tragic. Is that what it says? What does gain mean? Does gain mean better? Well, if I live, it's good. And if I die, it's better. That's exactly what it says. To live is Christ and to die is gain. You want to see a crazy verse. If I live on in the flesh, this means fruit from my labor. What I shall choose, I cannot tell. I thought God decided when I died. Why does it say what I shall choose? I cannot tell. All righty, verse 23. I am hard pressed between the two. Can you see a man caught in the middle? Having a desire to depart and pee with Christ, which is slightly better. Far better. Far better to depart and be with Christ. Nevertheless, if I stay here in this body, it's more needful for you. So I'm going to stay here a little bit longer and help you out. Got it? What are you hearing that right there? That man had seen heaven. He wanted to get back so bad he couldn't stand it. If you, listen, if he were to pull back the corner of the new earth and let you look in, you'd spend the rest of your life wishing you could get there. Because to depart and be with Christ is far better. Let me, uh, let me, let me quit by saying something about this. When we become eternally minded. Everything in our lives changes. It, it just, when we see life like this, everything changes. Let me mention real quickly a couple of things that change when we begin to learn to think like this. Our values change. What's important to you changes. How many of you believe gold is important on this planet right now? How many of you believe money, the Bible calls money gold? How many think money is important to some people? You become eternally minded, it won't mean anything to you anymore. Now, we've all got to have it because we've got to pay our bills, but he promised he'd provide that. Let me give you a revelation about money. Here's the great revelation about money from the book of Revelation. In chapter 21, verse 21 of Revelation, let me just quote it to you. He's describing heaven. What are the streets in heaven paved with? What's the revelation? What you worship down there, we walk up on, on up here. It don't mean nothing to us up here. It's not that important to us. 
You've got to have money to pay your bills, but money's not to be worshipped. That's not important anymore when you become eternity-minded. Various things like that. Only the kingdom is. Listen, your priorities change. I want to quote one of the great verses, one of the great truths of Jesus, and I want you to apply this to your life right now. Jesus said in John 6, 27, Labor not for the meat that perishes, but for the meat that endures to eternal life. What are you living for that's temporary, and what are you living for that's eternal? Now listen, I'm on my grass, but, and I know that grass is going to be gone one day, that's temporary, but he also told me that a good steward takes care of what God gives him. I make my bed up every morning because I read a book called Make Your Bed. (laughs) Plus, I'm married. I shave because we we do things that are temporary, but I do not live for those temporary things. I live for things that are eternal. People. I live for people. I don't live to to collect and to hoard and to have. I live for people. I'm not going to labor... How would you like to spend your whole life and then at the end watch the, watch the waves just wash it out to sea and you wasted your life? No, no. Labor for the meat that doesn't perish for eternity. <clears throat> and uh, let me throw in one more here that'll change. You become eternity minded. What's going on around you, you'll view it differently. Instead of tearing you up, you'll just say it's no big deal. You, you won't think that's much of it. Uh, let me tell you what eternity minded does to you. I had a birthday last week, and a friend of mine was being cute. He thought he was being cute. He got cuted. He thought he was being cute. He said, man, son, you're getting old. You're getting older, aren't you? I said, no, I'm getting closer. I'm not getting older. I'm getting closer. You remember Fanny Crosby, the great hymn writer, wrote Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. She was blind all her life. Never could see. She wrote some of the greatest Christian music ever. She's in a coma. She's 80-some years old. She's dying. Her sister's sitting up with her, sitting by the bedside. And they've been sitting with her for days. She's slipping in and out. And the doctor comes to visit there at the house, back when doctors made house calls. And uh, she's in a coma. And the, her sister asked the doctor, said, do you, do you think she could go soon? And the doctor, you know, they didn't think, you, you got to be careful talking around people you think can't hear you. And the doctor said, it's probably going to be today. And when he said that, Fanny busted out and hollered, too good to be true. That's an eternal perspective. Oh, no, 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 let it be. That's an eternal perspective. And uh, I want you to have an eternal perspective. Let me say one more thing here. If you have the regular worldview, a temporary worldview, what's going on in your life right now? If you don't have an eternal worldview, what are you thinking these days? Uncertainty. You don't know what's going to happen. Futility. Is it worth it? Fear. Wondering about the future? That's a temporary worldview. What if you had an eternal worldview according to this word? Let me tell you where you are right now if you got an eternal worldview. Hope. My labor is not in vain. My labor is not in vain. I'm building towards something going to last for eternity. I don't care what goes on around me. Everything, everything I'm doing is eternal right now. I live for eternal stuff and I'm having a blast. You say it's crazy out there. It's not crazy in his kingdom. His kingdom's going on on the earth right now. Confidence. Say, we could all die. Praise God. (laughs) Praise God. We're going to. Everybody's going to die. You just don't know when. You say, you said that you've lost your mind. No, I found it. I had it renewed. (laughs) Praise God. Listen, to depart and be with Christ is far better. I'm going to bear fruit on this earth. And when the time comes to croak, I'm going straight to glory. Some sudden death is sudden glory. 
Do you understand that when you have an eternal view, you take the club out of your enemy's hand and he can't beat you with fear no more. He ain't afraid of nothing. And then the other one is certainty. Certainty. Listen, let me tell you something. Let me just throw this in here. In America, we've gotten so cush and it's so comfortable, we've lost the eternal view because this life has gotten so good here. Well, it's being shaken a little bit now, isn't it? But I want you to think about something. Listen to most of our music, most of our preaching. What's, it What's our preaching these days? Seven keys to a better balance checkbook. How to be comfortable right now. That's how we live. This world is not my home. Go back to the slave days. I don't know if you knew this or not, but slaves were some of the greatest Christians that ever lived. They had a faith in God that very few people have if you, if you study slavery. I'm talking about the slaves that came to America. They, they loved God passionately, but they didn't have anything on this earth. They lived terrible lives, labored, no possessions. They were treated terribly. Christianity didn't make them rich and comfortable. They suffered. And if you ever listen to their songs, guess what every one of them was about? Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. They sang songs like, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. They had such a faith in God and such an eternal view because they weren't cush in this life. Well, praise God. This, it's just us. I'm going to say it. I sort of like what's going on on the earth right now. Hebrews 13 said, I'm going to shake everything that can be shaken so that that which can't be shaken is going to remain. <laughs> Sound to me like Elvis. A whole lot of shaking going on. I love that kind of stuff. You know what's going to be left and all this shake, all this false hope in our gods and our idols is going to be shook and ain't nothing going to be left except on Christ, the solid rock I stand. And that's going to be our hope for all of eternity. An eternal perspective will get you off that stuff. And you realize this world is not my home. Let me tell you the good news. You say, Brother Brown, it's terrible out there. Well, <clears throat> turn off the news and open up the good news. Listen, turn off channel eight and turn to channel 14. Read channel 14. Here it is. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I wouldn't stand up here and say it. I wouldn't have told you. But I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come back and get you and bring you. And you will be where I am. Let not your heart be troubled. And I'm just thinking, I'm standing. That's why I live close to the train station. Coming forward to carry me home. This is called an eternal mindset and perspective. You just don't think you're irresponsible to be so happy when everybody else is so upset. I got a better idea. I got a better idea. I got a better idea. If I'm rubbing the cat wrong, turn the cat around. Don't you think I'd be better? <laughs> Instead of me coming over and crying with you, why don't you come here and celebrate with me? Amen is what I think. Praise God. Get an eternal perspective and get off of it. Well, I've been gone too long now. Well, I don't know why I've gone too long. Listen, a day's like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. Let's just keep on going. What do you reckon? Praise God. Lord Jesus, I just love you and praise you and thank you. Your word is so good. Your word is so clear, so clear. We were not created for this planet. This is a holding tank, testing ground. We were created for eternity where we shall see his face, a new body like into the body of Jesus where everything will be perfect. We're going back to the garden of Genesis 1 and 2 one day 
I thank you and praise you that when we blew it the first time, you didn't give up. You came a-running. You chased us. And I thank you that you make all things new. I pray for every person in this room. I don't know what they got going on in their lives or what they're living for or what they're doing. But I pray in Jesus' name that we will begin to labor for the meat that does not perish but lasts unto eternity. Lord Jesus, I don't want to walk around like some goofball weirdo with my head in the cloud. I want to love this earth and love you and love people and take care of people and be active and enjoy what you gave me. But my eye will always be on the sky. Thank you that Jesus is coming back one day and he is our everything. I praise you and thank you for the hope and the peace and the confidence that come from having an eternal biblical worldview. I bless you and praise you for your goodness. And Lord Jesus, remind them, change from channel 8 to channel 14. I think it'd do them a whole lot better. In the blessed name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.